0: Welcome to the Veteran Power Hour. I repeat, welcome to the Veteran Power Hour. This is Matthew Benko, checking in to host this week's Veteran Power Hour here on Monco Radio. Today is Friday, March 25th. After a few brief announcements, we're going to transition right into today's thank you for your service portion of today's Veteran Power Hour. We have a lot of great information to get out. We had a really good interview today that's going to highlight this veterans' military service. And you're also going to hear about a lot of the community service engagements that he and his organization have going on. Um, So I just want to give you a heads up on some of those dates and some of those events. On April 30th, from 1 p.m. to 5.30 p.m., so from 1300 to 1730, at Veterans Island at Memorial at Memorial Park in Pottstown, there's going to be a Veterans Island Memorial Day cleanup in anticipation of of Memorial Day. In addition, following that will be May 14th um, as well to do the Veterans Island Memorial Park cleanup in Pottstown. So this Veterans Island, if you don't know, um, at Memorial Park is in Pottstown. It's a great location. They've done an amazing job over the years to clean it up. And we are asking for your support and engagement to come out and support this great cause because we're going to help clean up. This is an annual cleanup. In addition, we're going to get it ready for the Korean War Memorial and also to get it ready for Memorial Day as well. And so April 30th uh, from 1 p.m. to 5.30 p.m. and on May 14th, as well at 0800. And this is in partnership with Travis Manion Foundation, the Operation Legacy Project, Veterans Island Project at Memorial Park. Great opportunity to connect with a veteran service organization, a variety of veteran service organizations, some veterans, community members, to really do a great, awesome thing. And also to, you know, come by, check out Veterans Island. It's a a great place. It's a great local community resource for veterans and community members as a whole so there's that and all this information will be on the veteran power Hour Facebook page just type in veterans power Hour on Facebook and it will take you there so you have that access point there to get location times dates as well we just want to get the ball rolling here and mr. Frank Strunk who you're about to hear from here very shortly is going to talk about this on the tail end of the really good conversation we had he is the president of the Vietnam Veterans of America chapter 565 which is out of Pottstown so without further ado here is Mr. Frank Strunk and the really good conversation we had regarding his military service and what he's doing in his local community in Pottstown as always thank you for your time thank you for listening and we look forward to staying connected with you Welcome to the Thank You for Your Service portion of today's Veteran Power Hour. I have a great guest here here today, Mr. Frank Strunk. Frank, you Frank, thank you so much for being here.
1: You're welcome, man.
0: I am really excited right. to to start our conversation and our interview and we talked a little bit uh, uh prior to starting our our conversation here and you know you have a general understanding of the thank you for your service portion and this is an opportunity to hear your military service how you served our country and also what you're doing in the in our what all the great things you're doing in Montgomery County and our local community so okay um I always like to start off with with saying hey thank you for being here and thank you for your service because this is what this represents it's a uh... It's an opportunity for us to really highlight your military service and and how you served our country. So what branch of service were you in?
1: Uh, I served in the Air Force.
0: Oh, nice. Uh, I absolutely love having another U.S. Air Force um, (laughs) veteran on the show. You're the second Air Force veteran to date that I've had um, to date. So it's great to have a fellow Air Force uh, veteran here today. So um, cool. Uh, What years of service were, were, were you in?
1: I was in, uh, since, uh, 1964, 68,
0: 64, to 68. Okay. So I, I'm, I'm going to make an assumption here. Would, did, did you serve in Vietnam? Was, was that, uh, are you a Vietnam veteran?
1: I am a Vietnam veteran and I did serve in Vietnam in 66, 67.
0: Oh, wow. Okay. So th- again, th- uh, even all the more, thank you for your service because I've said this in a couple of my veteran power hours and, um, Uh, interviews i had i've interviewed one vietnam veteran so far to date and uh we owe an extraordinary amount of thanks to you and your service and what the vietnam veterans have done for today's generation of veterans so i i'm gonna say that a few times today in today's interview but i i sincerely mean that and and i you know want to extend that thanks to you and and acknowledge that for 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 appreciate it um So, how how did you get into the uh, U.S. Air Force? Were were you drafted? Were you enlisted? I was.
1: I was drafted.
0: Okay.
1: Uh, That was my motivation of getting into the Air Force. Um, I finished a two-year associate degree and got a job with United Airlines in the accounting and the finance department. Uh And I was trying to get my legal address changed from Pennsylvania to Illinois, but I didn't do it fast enough, and I got drafted. So I had to come home and get the uh, proverbial physical exam and passed it with flying cutters, And at that point, I was informed that my employer would not hire me back if I had active reserve duty. Okay. Now, the law has since changed. But at that time, I figured, well, I may as well go into the Air Force and get the four years finished. Uh, Plus, there were... You know, Southeast Asia was starting to build up on a lot of troop movement and going into the army would definitely have given me an opportunity to go to Vietnam, which uh, I wasn't all that keen about.
0: Yeah. Okay. So, so if, if I'm hearing that right, you, you, you were initially in the Air Force Reserves. Um, no, to- no, oh. no, no.
1: My employer would not hire me back. United Airlines would not take me back full time if I
0: had reserve duty. Oh, I see. So, if you made that choice, I, I understand. And then, so the
1: four years of active service then in el- made me eligible for employment.
0: I understand. So, so you, by you going into the Air Force and um, enlisting for four years provided some federal protection for you uh, as far as like human resource law right. which goes. Uh, okay, I understand. Um, and you're right; it has come a long way now. But back then, right. unfortunately, it was. It was only for, for active duty individuals. Okay. Where, where was your hometown? Where did all this take place?
1: Uh, I was born and raised in a little town in the coal region called Ashland. It's in Schuylkill County. Okay. And, uh, of course it's a small town. And, uh, once I had the opportunity to get to Chicago, which I worked at United airlines for no, about six months before uncle Sam drafted me, Uh uh, I kind of got familiar with the big city atmosphere and the small town didn't work. So uh, I guess it was an opportunity to go into the service and get it over with.
0: Yeah. Oh, wow. Um, that, uh, well, it's a very interesting story. I, I always, it's always very encouraging and motivating to hear how um, individuals got into the military, whether, you know, for the Vietnam era veteran, it's, it was either enlisting or being drafted. Um, but just hearing, hearing the, the backstory and um, how, how, where, where the, the origination story of it all is, is, is really encouraging yeah. and, and, and motivating. Um, so, okay. So, so you went from, um, you know, small town, PA USA, uh, went to the big city, Chicago, one of the biggest cities in the United States, um, really embraced that city atmosphere. And then you went to the Air Force, which, what we're getting to here shortly I imagine gave you this worldly experience that is forever a part of you and I'm speaking from my experience a little bit too um, and and how that you know changes our perspective of the world is that fair to say oh yeah oh great so Air Force okay so I uh, a lot of the individuals I interviewed before is all MOS, you know, and we know that stands mm-hmm. for military occupational specialty, but air force, I, I always say this like half joking, we, we like to be special. So we call it AFSC, air force specialty. <laughs> right. Right. So well, right. We, well right. what was your AFSC to talk a little bit about that? Like you were drafted in the air force where at that point, you know, once you were drafted, did, did you have the ability to kind of choose an AFSC? Did it give you options or did they say, Hey, you're drafted, you're going to the Air Force, and this is the job we're training you in. How did that work?
1: Well, um, no, you had an opportunity. I mean, like I said, I had an associate degree in accounting. So they wanted to utilize that experience. So they immediately asked if I would be interested in getting into an administrative um, department in the, the accounting and finance department of the Air Force. And I said, sure, you know, it's a nice clean job. And Eight uh, five days a week, so I did, and I went to obviously you know we all went to basic training in Lackland, okay Air okay. Force Base yep. in Texas. Then I went to admin specialties course in Keesler Air Force Base, and uh, that got immediately assigned to a Strategic Air Command out of headquarters in Omaha, Nebraska.
0: Okay, uh, and in Keesler's in Mississippi, right? So you yes. went from Texas to Mississippi to Nebraska. Nebraska. Okay. Wow. <laughs> um, right. And, and, I didn't pay the plane ticket, so yeah. <laughs> so, um, and so that's where, so that's how you, that's where the Air Force and your military service initially took you stateside. Um, how long were you in Nebraska before you went overseas to Vietnam?
1: I was, I was in Nebraska about eighteen months in the admin department when a uh, a good friend of mine that I. Uh, was around in, in Nebraska, he introduced me to, uh, he was currently in the air rescue department in Nebraska because we had the B-52s there, so we had a, an air rescue squad in there in case there was any accidents. And he introduced me to the air rescue squad and said he was making a $110 a month extra for flight pay and uh, hazardous duty pay. That And that was a single guy, so I figured, why not? I should make some more money. Yeah. So. Uh, I had an opportunity to cross train um, from admin department into air rescue department squadron, which was right on the same base. Yeah. Yeah. So um, my qualifications were okay. The physical I passed and so forth. And then uh, they sent me to Kelly air force base in Texas. Okay. uh, Which is right across from Lackland as you know, and for some air crew training yeah. So we were down there at TDY for about eight months, six months. Okay. And then, um, got assigned back to, I qualified as a crewman and sent right back to Omaha because in Omaha at the headquarters, we all had uh, secret clearance passage. So it was easy for them. to put me right back into Omaha. Okay. And then, um, we just, you know, trained in Omaha on the job training there, a lot of it. And then, um, uh, they decided, they, the federal government, decided that uh, the war was picking up quite a bit and they were going to move the B-52s out of Omaha uh, to Southeast Asia. And at that point in time, the Strategic Air Command was not in Southeast Asia. It was a Pacific Air Command. Okay. And it was classification classified orders to go over there. So, the B-52s went to Guam and we, as their um, rescue squad, there were eight choppers and a, and a cruise. Uh, we all went to Denang. Okay. And that, that was a, a confused mix up because they transferred us then from Denang over to Bangkok, a, a Dongmong Air Base in bank, outside of Bangkok, Thailand uh, to wait for our equipment and our choppers to come over. Yeah. So, because we had classified orders, the you know they had no idea where we were supposed to go. So, our CO showed up, and apparently, he had the secrets of everything. And we ended up on the economy in Bangkok, downtown Bangkok, which was very enjoyable. We all got TDY pay and and uh, you know per diems. Yeah. But then the magic day came, and um, we all went south to uh, an air base called Utapayo, okay. which is in the south of Thailand, right in the Gulf of Siam. And the B-52s then followed us from Guam into Thailand. Uh, we landed in Thailand on an 11,000-foot runway, and uh, company – by the name of Red Horse. I don't know if you're familiar with them.
0: Yeah, I think, aren't they the CE, the Civil Engineers of the Air Force? Yes, they are. Oh, okay. Yeah.
1: Yeah, Uh, Red Horse was building the tents, uh, which was about eight to 10 guys in a tent. And uh, that's all we had. Uh, The whole base was stripped of all vegetation.
2: Yeah. With Agent
1: Orange, they stripped it all out. And then they filled it all in with... uh, a lot of dirt and sand and rocks and it was uh the second armpit of the world that i ever experienced so yeah. it was brutal it was
0: hot yeah dirty
1: country smelled
0: oh wow um and so you're, you're everything you just talked about how you you know you went from admin which was a pretty you know straightforward you know steady assistant job job to being an air (laughs) rescue uh i think the air force now calls them ceas career enlisted aviator um is is um so you went from being an admin individual to being a a crew member so right um in vietnam so you perform these duties of air rescue as a crew member is 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 that correct
1: correct my responsibility is that when we would when the B-52s took off on a, a sortie run
2: uh-huh.
1: up the coast of Siam, uh, up to Thailand, we would follow them up and in case there was any problems. As you know, um, early on, we start losing a lot of B-52s because of the SAM missiles. Yeah. And uh, we, our orders were that we were supposed to strictly rescue the crews. Okay and or get verification that they were killed where they were located the burial was located and and get a dog tag
2: okay so that the
1: accountability to the family was available so we worked with the navy seals on the ground quite a
3: bit
0: okay um so that that as a I think the Air Force, the the modern day AFSC is pararescue. Is 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 that what you were doing? Is like as a aircrew rescue? Because I know it just uh, started or what was that very st- similar to
1: it. I mean, okay. they changed the name so many times, but
0: yeah.
1: yeah, it's you might say a pararescue today.
0: Yeah, because it's gotten a lot. The, the training has evolved a lot because of the the, the significance of of these operations that you're talking about and and it's it's usually a joint operation as as you discuss working with the navy seals and and a lot you know going into these really hostile environments um and very challenging i mean it's a challenging environment in itself to be in Vietnam, but then to put yourself in an even more extreme challenging situation following an air crash and an air rescue is um, I could only imagine all those variables on, you know, how challenging and, and stressful that could be. But, uh, as, as we're aware of the, the training prepares us for that, but we don't know yes. what, how we're going to be until we're actually put in that situation. Um, so, um, are, are you allowed to talk about it? Are you okay with talking about some of the, the experiences you had like over there? Like, what, what was that like for you to, during your, your, um, you know, year over in Vietnam?
1: Well, it was, it was a busy year. Uh, things are starting to build up now, and that, um, you know the VC were, were very active, so is the North Vietnamese active. Um, we had a lot of problems with the B-52s going down simply because of the formations that they were flying. Uh, they would actually fly three uh, at a time, then three back up, and then three behind them. So that was nine nine planes. Um, usually, the ones that were tailed, on the three at the end were the ones that were getting hit because the SAMS would lock on to them after they decided what what the um, elevation was. So it yeah you know, it was it was a challenging situation, uh, yeah. particularly when you're working with the Navy SEALs. Those those people are very interesting. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> uh, I admire them because if I was ever going to get stuck on in country with, I'd prefer to be with them. Yeah. Uh, they were challenging. Um, they would, uh, if we pick anybody up, they would ask us to give them whatever we had. I mean, cigarettes, gum, MREs, you know, you name it. We, They stole from us, but we willingly gave.
0: Yeah, uh, acquired, right? the, the, the yeah, acquired, right? Yeah, acquired, yeah. <laughs> Confiscated. Yes, yes.
1: <laughs> but it was interesting. I mean, the a lot of times we go into a fire base. Um, we, got, we were on a mission and we get called into a fire base to pick up some wounded. And it was really challenging to watch some of these guys that are boots on the ground that looking at us like, you know, oh, gee, I you know, wish I could go with you, you know?
0: Yeah, it, interesting. Yeah, it's like hey, you, you're there to provide a um an immediate, you know, support need and then but just as quick as you get there, you're you're leaving, you know? Um so I imagine that had its uh, challenges and moments as well cuz those who yeah. aren't in yeah, we were, were seeing uh, Interesting. Interesting.
1: So, you know, after a year over there, we were we were pretty A real tight crew. Uh, The only risk that we ever had was pilot and co-pilots. A lot of them came out of the Air Force Academy. Okay. Or they came out of like a college ROTC and then they got training to be pilots. And a lot of them felt to be career-minded. Okay. Therefore, they had a little tendency to take some higher risks in order to get air medals or whatever they were looking to do and uh we were i wouldn't say that we were not taking risk but we weren't inviting it if you know what i mean
0: yeah i do it was it, it, there's i like to think of it like like there's a calculated risk taking and you, you weigh <laughs> at the pros and you, you obviously you obviously always do what needs to be done and what, what the mission dictates um but it you know, sometimes we got to take a step back and and say, hey, if, if, if we're asked of to do this, absolutely, we'll rise up to the occasion. Um, but, you know, at the same time, it's like, OK, we have to balance that, that out. It's like, hey, we're welcome it. um, but we're, we're not going to go knocking on the front door um, of, of that either.
1: Well, I mean, if we are going to pick somebody up, a lot of times it was like a green smoke was thrown out that it was a clear area. Yeah, but it could turn yellow real quick, and it can turn red. Absol- and yeah. um, these guys would would be on a a landing run, and they were getting ready to just go. They're committed, and then it would turn red. Well, they just keep going.
0: Yeah, yeah. Well, um, well, as as you know, you know, takeoff and landings are the most critical part of of air operations. They are. You know. Oh yeah, and
1: especially when those bullets hit the aircraft and. Swap around inside, you know, they, they have a tendency to ricochet.
0: Yeah. Um, well, and then there's, there's, you know, once you're on approach, there's nothing you could do. You can't make any set of movements, you know, Well, once you're committed at a certain point, you know, um, you know, clear to land and yeah, well, you, you, you know how that is. It's like, well, we have to see this through at this point because then you're taking more risk to, to, you know, um, egress that situation. Um, depending on what it is um so you you mentioned the the uh, crew so you mentioned a pilot co-pilot can you talk a little bit a, more about what the crew consisted of and and how that worked? so to include you, your position so it, i um from what i'm hearing it, it was a combination of officers and enlisted is that right
1: yeah uh the officers were the obviously the pilot and the co-pilot um and then there was um myself there was a crew crew chief, and the medic. We'd go in with a gunship. Uh, A gunship would be follow us in. Now, the gunship, of course, had, you know, two guns, two machine guns in each door area.
0: Uh, Are are you talking about the C-130 aircraft?
1: No, I'm talking about a helicopter gunship.
0: Oh, helicopter gun. Okay, all right.
1: Yeah, Um, they would hover above us for protection. They were our protection. Because we're loading wounded, and... uh, we needed the protection because obviously we couldn't have guns on there to, that, that would put too much weight on it.
0: Yeah. Oh, wow. Okay. It's sidearms, but you know, yeah. J- j- just in a, yeah, but you, you're not putting, you know, a couple thousand pounds of ammunition no, and, and, no. and guns on there. Um, uh, and what aircraft were, where were, were you on? So what, what was the, the aircraft you, you were trained on and what, what was the, the, the rescue? Um, what was it? A helicopter? Uh, that-
1: that that is what we call an hu2 okay it's a helicopter uh two um very you've seen uh you've seen them around uh, in war movies and stuff like that that's okay. okay you don't see them around anymore unless they're in a museum
0: yeah um oh. okay no no it's, it's interesting so, so so most of your um Uh, air crew experiences is is, is, was on a um uh hu2 HU2 on a a helicopter yeah um
1: i mean we we would make good friends with the um the crew chief uh because a lot of times you know their word was god If, if they felt that they saw a oil leak on the ground then of course that aircraft didn't go
0: yeah yeah, that's actually a, an interesting point because you know we talked about taking risk and assessing risk, whether it's operational need or maintenance. And and you know you know just from a maintenance perspective, there are some things where, um, it's clearly like a red X, like this is absolutely a no go because of you know an oil leak or um any right. number of maintenance issues. But then there there are some things as we call a lot like a, a dash. It's like. Well, it needs to be fixed, but we could still proceed with the operation. And and I just wanted to revisit that because that's what we mean by um, risk assessment and and, and mm-hmm. taking a step back and saying, all right, uh, w- w- whether it's a maintenance concern or an operations concern based off an intel report, or you know, are we going to see this through? Because you know that you your job was to go in there and provide rescue, but if it's if it's too red, well. We're gonna have to take a, a different approach to it, so it, it, we we could see this mission as a as a success. Um, for, you know. Oh yeah, every mission
1: had to be a success because you didn't want to commit to a mission. Um, I mean, if you were having problems in the aircraft, you turned around on the back
2: yeah. because a lot yeah. of people,
1: and you didn't turn around until you knew there was a replacement coming after you. Yep. Um, because you knew the there were people you know uh depending on you to show up
0: yeah and yeah and if you push the envelope too hard it would just compound the issue and then the the, the individual going to rescue then you have to search. you have to send a larger search not a, a rescue party out because those who are going to rescue have become compromised as a maintenance issue so th- that's an important um component of of aircrew planning uh there's a you know taking off is the easy part you know it's it's the planning it's the intel reports it's just that that's where all the hard work is man you know starting engines you know firing up the i, I don't know what the helicopter terminology is but getting that rotary spinning mm-hmm. it's all right yeah. it's it's now the the hard part is done now we could proceed with what we mission plan to do you know maintenance <laughs> is a go uh, mission planning is a go and let's let's make it happen and and there's a lot behind the scenes that goes into that as as you were well aware of
1: well i mean not only that i mean when we were stationed there in in the south uh, most of our equipment and replacement parts shipped over by merchant marines
2: okay Okay.
1: and you know if we had a rotor problem for some reason that got bent or for some reason that got shot a hole in it um we would steal from another chopper in order to replace it
0: Yeah, it was.
1: It's you know, you did have, you did what you had to do. Yep,
0: yeah, that's that's another um, mission essential, you know, necessary. I would say I don't. It's not evil, but a necessary component to to getting the job done. You know, and just
1: well, it was. It was always nice because if we had to take something off another aircraft and that aircraft didn't go, and that crew was very appreciative.
0: Yeah. It's yeah because you know once you're in the mission state of mind it's like you know it's it, it, there's a psychology behind it too it's like we did all this work like we're gonna do what we need to do to take off at this point because right. it's it's you 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 have to mentally and psychologically prepare yourself for that and the last thing you know you want to happen is is oh there's a flat tire or all right yeah. let's go take the tire off off the, off the uh the the Bravo crew or or the backup crew's plane because we're able to proceed right um
1: well yeah i mean it it, you're committed there's people depending on you and uh you know you don't want to take too many risks we're not the type we weren't the type to be able to go on a mission and come back and then go on another one right away it uh you had to have some downtime
0: oh yeah yeah and and i'm i don't know how much it has changed but i think you know with the start of the air force and with with, with air crew like you you know, b- by protocol, like you need at least 12 hours rest after, you know, a 24 hour m- mission. So it wasn't like you landed six hours later, you're back up, you know, to, to doing a mission again, because that yeah, no, it's, extremely no, and, you know,
1: you had to be careful as to you know, what you picked up when you went on, on a rescue situation because of the weight. I mean, a crew, a crew on a B-52, there were six on a yeah. crew. Oh, wow. And. You know, we never did get all six of them, but we had a tendency to pick up at least four of the six. Yeah. And um, you put four people on that aircraft, that means somebody's getting off. Yep. And that that somebody happens to be, you know, it could be the crew chief or it could be the medic. Okay. Um, Or it could be me.
0: So you're saying Uh, that you you would stay on scene with with the rest? Well, we'd stay
1: on scene with them. Yeah. One time I had the opportunity to stay on scene and I got picked up from the gunship that was hovering above us. But when I got off, the interesting thing was this Navy SEAL looked at my uniform and he goes, what kind of uniform are you wearing? (laughs) My, My response was, you know uh well we all have challenges you know
0: yeah it's like well what kind of a, i would say what kind of questions that what we're, we're well, wearing? That, a, a flight suit they or? were just being assholes and yeah, that, that's how yeah, they were yeah they were just yeah um well just out of curiosity what well, was it a flight suit you were wearing i'm sorry well was it a flight suit you were wearing you know like, like the uh the, the one zipper well, it looks like uh yes yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly right yeah, yeah. um
1: and then with the the helmets that, you know, you get, you you'd strain your neck wearing. Yeah. yeah. And then the flak jackets. We didn't have the flak When we land, go in for a landing run, uh, we sat on the flak jackets because uh, the worst thing you could do is like, get shot in the rear end. Yeah. Know? I
0: was going to say, it pr- protects your, your, your rear end from getting, right. yeah, from, from yeah. The bullets coming through the. You
1: know, and you'd see the tracers coming up. You know, you know darn well they were tracing you in, you know.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Um. Yeah, I guess curtain fire was the most uh, popular thing, you know. They would just <laughs> spray you with that. Um, great stuff, Frank. I mean, this is a really interesting story. I, honestly, I, I, this is my first opportunity to talk directly with, with a, a, a rescue air crew member. This is, this is pretty awesome. Um, There's a few of us around. Yeah. Um, oh, well, I, I like to ask you, you know, in what ways has the military transformed your life? Oh
1: wow. It well. Wow. Working with uh an air crew for a whole year really was a major team relationship. It wasn't it wasn't the it was the guy that was next to you who was gonna save your rear end, you know. And yeah. it was that guy who you slept with, you drank with, you partied with, you, you know. And you flew with uh, everybody knew each other, even if I had a problem to get over on another crew because somebody was sick or whatever. Um, we still knew each other from at the NCO club or wherever it may be. Yeah, that was great, and and you know to be able to coordinate your activity with all your other crew people. It just seemed like it was an orchestra everybody knew what they had to do and when they had to do it
0: yeah so so that that was um what would take away because that's you know that that's a not a very common experience that a lot of people get even in the military itself i mean uh, a, a lot a lot of you know i am making a generalization here um but you know, people who serve in the military may not have had that experience to be part of a tight-knit crew like that. So, um, yeah, h- how would you say that has uh, influenced you or, or maybe kind of carried over to your civilian life?
1: Well, it, it, it obviously gave me an ability to communicate real good. I can communicate with people. Uh, I don't have any reason whatsoever to... St- be standoffish i would just go up and introduce myself to people uh, and uh what can we do how can we do it in order to get the job done yeah and that's basically what the air force taught me is is here's what you have to do now how are we going to get it done uh
0: no Uh, no, that's great i think the air force calls it now the crm crew resource management um and and you know really taking inventory and it really really what it is what you just said is communication 101 being in the moment and hey right what can i say and how can i say it uh, what whether it's to meet a personal need or uh, a, a professional objective it's so critical i mean i mean there's so many things we could say that factor into what, what is the most important component of getting the job done well it boils down to communication in a lot of ways and the, it is yeah, and in the air force and especially being on an air crew especially being on headset um and and you know, a lot of times our verbals are compromised. So sometimes it leads to non-verbals or you got to be so clear, succinct and direct in the moment. It's just, it's just an important critical asset to getting the job done. And I I believe, I believe in my own experience and then from, from here in your experience that that absolutely does carry over. Oh yeah. And and helps in a lot of different ways.
1: I agree with you. It it really does. I mean, I, I spent 50 years in the banking industry and I don't think I would have spent that much time if I wasn't able to communicate with people.
0: Yeah. Oh, wow. That's yeah. It's, it's one thing to be a tech, tech I mean, I, I, I could only imagine what, what it's required to, to, to be a banker and to, you said 50 years, 50 years. Oh, wow. So, so I mean, yeah, that, that, that didn't happen by accident. That, that, that showed that you, you um. I imagine that a lot of training, a lot of, a lot of you know you become a subject matter expert but really from what i'm hearing what you're saying with communicating and being able to process in the moment is what led to those 50 right. years
1: and well i mean i i was a commercial banker so i had to be able to communicate with my colleagues as well as people who supported me as well as the clients who was borrowing funds you know so it it was all big round robin arrangement
0: yeah oh interesting well, I'd like to ask you this, Frank. Uh, what would the current Frank say to the then Frank just entering the U.S. Air Force? Uh,
1: okay, that's a good question. What would I say? Well, I I guess what I, I would say is make the best of it. Uh, you're in it. Make the best of it. Uh, make good choices for yourself. And um, did I regret going into the Air Force? Uh, no um would i have stayed in the air force i think i would have but um when we came back from overseas i had a year left went right back to omaha uh, right. nebraska and um i i was going to consider really listening. i made i made e5 when i got back and um I was supposed to have three years on station because we all came back from Vietnam. And that was the, that was the arrangement they handed us. And, um, the Tet Offensive took place. Uh, they were starting, they lost a lot of people, uh, in both army and the air force. A lot of air rescue people were, were hurt and they were short on staff. And, um, we were got o- war orders that, um, we were going to be reassigned back to Southeast Asia. So they were just taking all experienced single personnel, and I figured, eh, a year was enough. I decided I would just take the discharge and get out.
0: Yeah, make the best of it, um, and and yeah, you know, I, I acknowledge those the. The takeaways of it and the things you learned i think share that today like you you you, you highlight and reference the, the the communication skills you learned by being a crew member helped you become a successful banker right that's um, correct It did. And, and, and you know hindsight is it's always easy in hindsight to to you know um inventory our experiences um and i always like to ask that question because it just adds a, a unique perspective because um it allows us to take a step back and say, oh, wow, I would have maybe said this, you know, or or, or, or that. So, And, um, you know, you
1: meet different types of people from all walks of life when you're in the military. And, um, you know, you have to be able to communicate with everybody. And, and you, it's a tight-knit organization. I mean, even on a base of like Omaha. I mean, my God, it was a huge base. And um, you were still able to say – hello to a lot of people and meet a lot of people and people, you know, yourself, I mean, they come on station, then they leave new people come on and be able to get along with them.
0: Yeah. Oh, great. Well, appreciate you sharing that. And I'm going to ask you one more question related to your military service. So then we could transition into all the great things you've been doing um, for the community and what, you know, what, what, you know, the things you've been doing over the years following your, your military career. Um, what would you like the civilian population to know about veterans transitioning back to society? Or I like to call their home base.
1: Uh, well, I, I, as you know, those of us who came back from Vietnam were not really greeted with open arms. I mean, they looked at us like we were baby killers and, and we were all aware of how the American people were against the war. Uh, I mean, I was I was just got off a crew when I looked at the uh, Stars and Stripes and saw they burned the American flag in New York City. So we were aware of what was going on. Um, I, I would say, you know, the way we were treated, there was no way we as Vietnam veterans would ever allow our fellow veterans that come behind us to be treated that way. Yeah. Um, we make it a point to honor them at the airport. We make it a point to honor them at funerals. We make it a point that you know to thank them for what they've done. It took years for the government to thank us. Yeah, they did eventually. Yeah, I mean, even the VFW wouldn't let us join. So
0: yeah, I I, I I've heard a number of those stories and, and, and experiences, and it just it's just a uh challenging to hear that as, as, as a a veteran you know for for from serving you know post vietnam i you know like i opened up earlier with today's veteran and today's generation veteran which i, I am which i fall into it owes an incredible amount of gratitude and thanks because I could attest to that because it was, you know, from my deployments coming back from overseas, it, it was the Vietnam veteran right there being the, almost, yeah. like literally right off the plane, shaking her hands like, welcome you know, a, a big state. you know, I heard the welcome home. I'm like, what you know, I'm like, okay. But then as I heard it more and I thought about it more and I heard more of the Vietnam veterans perspective, what that meant. I, it means a lot more to me now when I hear the welcome home. So Frank, to you, welcome home, because it, you know there was that time in history where you didn't get that welcome that you, you deserved, and because of the social challenges at the time. But I, I truly mean that what what the Vietnam veteran did to to prevent that from happening is 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 incredibly amazing, and 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 I I, I feel fair to say this, I speak for all veterans, you know, th- thank you for that. I, I really, I do. You're welcome. So I, you know, I think this would be a good transition question to ask is in, you know, we, we have a lot of good things to talk about and what, what's happening in Montgomery County and what what, what you're doing with, with the Potsdam Rotary and Veterans Island. How, how, what, how can the veteran community help veterans with their transition?
1: Well, I mean, the veterans community needs to educate the veterans coming back, that they are, they can qualify for medical support. They can qualify for various uh, GI benefits for education and to take advantage of it. Um, a lot of us, when we came back from Vietnam, we never had anyone standing in and saying, here's what you need to do. Here's what you have to do. It was more or less, here are your new uniforms. Here's your plane ticket and see it. Yeah, uh, yeah we, we, we kind of had to fend for ourselves and or listen to others. Um, it was years before I even got into registered for the uh, VA.
2: Yeah.
1: Uh, and it was just a lack of uh, time wise, but a lack of really information of what's available to, them. I mean, I came back whole, so um, I didn't need the VA. Yeah. So I, you know, at the time, uh, I was able to take advantage of the GI Bill and further my education, but uh, I did that on a part-time basis, but uh, the government, I felt Uncle Sam owed that to me, yeah. and I took advantage of it. Did anybody tell me? No. Uh, I had to go to Albright College uh, and say, well, I'm a veteran. Do I qualify? Oh, yeah, by, by, yeah, 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 you know. So, it, we need to educate these guys coming back and, and women coming back from the service to say, these are all what you're qualified. I understand now that before they get discharged, that this, they do go through some sort of an interview.
0: It is. And I think it's called like TAPS. I mean, when I got off active duty, it was called Transition Assistant Program. Um, but it's a lot of information at once and and yeah but, but most folks have one foot out the door so they're just like all right they're just going through the motions it's not until they get home where all right i need some help you know identifying that that information that was just kind of you know uh, right just dropped on me in, in an expedited manner
1: well we do have i mean as you know i'm president of vietnam veterans organizations here in mm-hmm. town and yeah. What we try to do is we have the the VA come up and talk to our guys because a lot of our guys were reluctant to go anywhere. Like you said, they have one foot out the door and then don't talk to me. I'm I'm done with the service. I'm gone on with my life. I'll call you. Don't call me. Yeah. And yeah. a lot of these guys are now to the age and women are to the age of they they need some medical help.
2: Yeah.
0: Well, it's, it sounds like, you know, and that, that's a great tra- transition. You, you mentioned you're the president of the Vietnam veterans of, of America, right. The, you know, right. VVA, v- 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 <laughs> you know, cause you know, in the military and the VA, w- we love our acronyms. Right. So if you know the, the, the VVA, so um, right. talk a little bit about that. Is, are, are there, is it, so you, you when you're talking about in the local Pottstown area, cause that, that's, that, that's where you reside now. Right. Um, that is correct. Okay. So, so is that chapter linked to just Pottstown? What area does it cover? Can you talk a little well, bit about
1: that? Okay. Yeah. Well, VVA was formed because as I mentioned earlier, the, uh, the the VFW didn't want us to join because it was not a declared war. And the American Legion kind of frowned upon us being members um, for, for the same reason. I think they were all afraid of us, but so, Vietnam Veterans of America was formed. We formed our own organization, and it became a national organization. Okay. And each each area formed their own chapter. For example, Pottstown chapter is five sixty five. There's a uh, we joined. Uh, we formed that chapter with the help of uh, Chapter one thirty one out of Reading. Okay. That was a very large chapter, and there's one in Phoenixville, and there's one. So each town, you might say, or city have formed their own uh, chapter.
2: Okay, okay.
1: And it was a place for us to kind of talk amongst ourselves. We were the only ones that knew what we were talking about. We didn't care if anybody else cared to hear what we were talking about, but at least it was someplace, it was like a sounding board.
0: Yeah, it was a pl- it was a place that sounds like it was somewhere you could just process w- w- without Correct. judgment and and you know misunderstanding because y- you had individuals there with similar experiences and that's right. I mean, we point. had that's
1: people cool. from the army, the navy, the CBs, and so forth. You know, so we 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 were all responsible individuals who served their country in a responsible conflict, and nobody cared.
0: Yeah. And it was just like, hey, you just gotta figure it out for yourself. This is your your right. problem almost, and it's like this is your problem to burden on your own, where and then it just shows the resiliency again of the Vietnam veterans, how you came together and created this resource. And I, I always like to emphasize access points on the show. Like you created an access point not only for yourselves in the moment, but also for future generations to to follow. Because Correct. we absolutely need uh, everyone just uh, all, in all humanity but especially like for veterans who've deployed and have been in a you know military conflict we it's so important and critical to have the opportunity to process what we're thinking internally um, and and you know to sort out those thoughts and, and emotions because if we don't get a handle on it when I say it these emo- the complex range of emotions it takes a handle on us. So um, that, that, that's my message. So, so for like all the veterans out there listening, it's, it's okay to be confused, overwhelmed, but it starts with acknowledging, hey, I'm having a hard time. Well, then, then it's your responsibility to reach out and access these resources like you're, you're mentioning so we could come together um, and, and help each other out and, and help us get through those, those challenging, overwhelming times you know so well i mean
1: that's correct matt i mean we we started our chapter we had uh close to 80 members we're now down to 64 uh we're not getting any younger so anyway we're down to 64 but we also have eight associate members and, okay. and these are people who uh served in afghanistan or iraq Yeah, they wanted someplace to go and we invited them to come to us
0: oh that's great so it 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 just showed you open up those doors to just to almost like pass the torch to keep that that resource and that access point available, correct? And ready, correct? Um, and so I'll, I'll I'll jump ahead here a little bit. It sounds like you know, with what you just talked about with the VVA, opening up your doors to Iraq veterans, Afghanistan veterans, etc., um, has led to community collaboration, all right? Um, and, yes. and one of the things I want to talk about. And, and, or, I want to, yeah, I'd like to ask you so you, you could highlight, you know, v- the Veteran Island, Veterans Island in Potsdam, right? Um, I, I It sounds like that was an extension of, you know, all the great things that the VVA has has done and what you've been doing uh, to bring veterans together to create this uh, physical access point. I mean, it's, I've been there, um, but if you could just talk about what the Veteran Island, some of the upcoming events there. So, anyone and everyone listening can be like oh I didn't know about that or that'd be great to connect uh so if you wouldn't mind doing um providing some information with with that because it'll just show the, the power of the community and what veterans can do when they come together
1: well our chapter um 26 years ago built a memorial in on the island in Pottstown and that memorial honors the 26 guys that were killed in Vietnam from the area. Owen J. Roberts, Pottstown, okay. Potts Grove School District, and Boyertown. Uh, it's an elaborate undertaking, and we finished it. It took us five years to build it. Uh, it consists of 26 uh, lighted trees with personalized name, bricks, for each one of the 26. We also have a gazebo dedicated to the uh, Gold Star Mothers, and we have 3,500 bricks, personalized bricks that were purchased by individual military and or family military. We call it the Veterans Walk of Honor. Okay. So it's quite quite extensive undertaking we, we did. And we did it. Um, and we had a, We also have on the Veterans Island uh, a World War II that we helped refurbished um, and updated. And we also have a Korean War Memorial. Uh, that we're in the process of finishing the refurbishment of it, so we we, we have space on the Veterans Island uh, to to accommodate uh, other memorials. So if we'd like to invite, uh, you know, the Afghan and Iraqi and, and uh, 9/11 people all the way up to date, any veterans who served, if they wanted to coordinate their efforts we've got the experience with the memorials we know how to to form them we know how to get people to work on them we know how to help you generate funds for it just uh, reach out to us we'd be happy to use let you use our experience
0: that that's great that's great information that, that's that's very encouraging and motivating because it's one thing to have a thought and idea. It's like, oh, it'd be nice to have a memorial honoring you know, um, Afghanistan and Iraq veterans, et cetera. But where, where do I start? So everyone listening here, you, you heard it. Like, This is a start. This is um, uh, an amazing resource for, for you to kind of collaborate and take that idea and turn it into a, a reality, and into a physical you know, f- forever uh, memorial there, um, Frank. Right. Are there upcoming events that that possibly that uh, veterans and anyone listening could could maybe come meet you in person or come to Veteran Island? I know there's a couple yes. things on, on the book, so I, I'd like you know for for everyone to hear that.
1: Sure. Yeah. I mean, we have um, our coming upcoming events that we have coming up is on April. April 30th, we have the uh, refurbishing of the Korean War Memorial. We're having to, we could use some young labor to help us with uh, moving some things around. Uh, as I said, we're not getting any younger ourselves, so we could use some young bronzy type people to help us with that. We also have, uh, and that'll start on uh, from one o'clock in the afternoon on April 30th. Uh, we also have on the May 14th, Uh, We have an island cleanup down there getting ready for Memorial Day. Okay, That would be just moving some things around that were left over from winter. um, And we can use some young ex-soldiers for that or any civilians for that matter.
0: Okay. No, that's good to know. Uh,
1: On May 21 and May 22, we will be placing flags on the cemeteries. We have two large cemeteries here in Plattstown I mean, we have others too, but we do usually take care of the others on a weekday. But the two large cemeteries, uh, we need help to get these flags placed on the on the veterans' graves, and that <clears throat> both of those are on May twenty one, which is the uh, Highland Memorial. That'll take place uh, at eight o'clock in the morning, and then we have another large cemetery, a Catholic Cemetery, at uh, Saint Al's. Uh, Cemetery, and, and that starts on Sunday the, uh, at 8 a.m. too. Uh, May 30th, as you know, is Memorial Day. We have a Memorial Day parade, and we also have a program down on Veterans Island. July 4th, uh, we have a parade and a street fair coming up. Uh, September, uh, the date hasn't been identified yet, but it will be in September, Uh, We have the Veterans Island Program where we award local people who have contributed to the various organizations in town most likely favoring um, veterans and what they've contributed to the community. Okay. We also have some individuals who are non-veterans who have contributed to the veterans in the community. Um, September, we have uh, a car show coming up and um that's about what we've got coming so we're we're quite involved here with uh different organizations in town the rotary helps us out a bit uh they have a lot of young people and and a few of them are are um, ex-military and current military
0: okay well that's great so so, um april 30th is is the the up-and-coming one That, that that's just like some island cleanup and preparation For 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 May 14th, and if my information serves me right, and what I saw is on May 14th, you're going to be working in collaboration with the Travis Manning Foundation as well. That is correct with with the Little Legacy project. So uh, that's uh, I'm connected and affiliated with the Travis Manning Foundation. They're a great organization. It's going to be a great resource to help. So it just speaks and shows an example of when veterans come together uh the the great things they could do for the community and this like you said it frank this app this isn't just for for veterans this is for all civilians and all it's really for all community members coming together because i've been the veterans island a few times it's a beautiful facility it's great it looks awesome so um i what what i'm gonna do and what i can do is i'll get this on our facebook on the veteran power hour um, Facebook link. And as you know, in my role as the manager of veteran services at Montgomery County Community College, um, I will get the the we will support you and and get as many individuals as we can, because as you know, that there there is a, a Pottstown location campus um, right. currently under construction. There, there's a lot going on, but we still have community members. So between staff, students, employees, et cetera, we, we will do all we can to help support this, you know, collaborative um and really reinforce this collaborative relationship that we we have established.
1: And we and we do want those veterans to come out and and work with us and I mean not for us work with us.
0: Yeah, yeah. Um yeah, yeah, I see that as a partnership. It's it's like, hey, this is it's, the veteran. It is. Yeah, but it's it's a great partnership and it's a great and it's also too a great net note great networking tool so for all the young men and women out there just kind of starting on trying to figure things out it's it goes beyond just getting your hands dirty moving some mulch around and that's actually kind of fun you know that's good but you make these connections you know frank you talk about your banking career you know somebody may be interested in that and it's just a great networking tool so um that's a good takeaway for from that and um, so i'm looking forward to it I, I will absolutely be there the 30th i'm gonna get the word out and everything um and frank i can't thank frank, you I enough can't... you know i for, for the sake of time um we've we got to wrap things up here but um i'm you know one i i can't emphasize and you know i can't emphasize enough you know how thankful i i am for you and your service and for being here today you shared a great wealth of information that will be um accessible to any and all who who listen and 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 we really appreciate you being here in the veteran power hour and on on my closing um question here is every um every everyone who i've interviewed so far i always ask what song would you like to dedicate to the veteran power hour we're building a playlist and we always close out the interview with, with the song that you would like to be played on your behalf here
1: here. hmm oh I, I I guess I'd have to go back to my Vietnam day um um hmm. I guess born to be wild
0: it is a really good song to add to to the list um we were here. a ragged crew you know <laughs> great um so well Frank thank you again for for being here um I you know this is your this has been a really great experience and I, I appreciate you being here and sharing everything that you did today
1: Well, thank you very much, man. And and hopefully we'll see you at the memorial.
0: You absolutely will. Sounds good. All right. Thanks
1: again.